0: Welcome to The Bees Knees. I'm your host, J.C. Meyer. The Bees Knees is a podcast wild about native bees. Wild and native bees are under threat worldwide. In each episode, we look at actionable things we can do to support these adorable little guys whose pollination work is crucial for maintaining biodiversity. Thanks for being here. like bee-friendly gardening and enhancing biodiversity evoke the idea of creating a safe and welcoming environment for bees and other pollinators. As regular listeners know, we talk a lot about a lack of food sources being a huge stressor for native bees. So in our bee-inspired season 2, we're dedicating episodes specifically to bee-friendly flowers and planting a feast for bees. There are many, many ecosystems on this fine planet of ours, each with its own unique bees and flowers. We won't be able to discuss the best flowers for all 16,000 known species of bees, so we're looking at this geographically. Today, we're focusing on England, and in future episodes, we'll be looking at the United States and Australia. Even within these countries, there are many different environments, but I hope wherever you live, you'll be able to use some of the advice and best practices shared. So, let's go to England. Welcome, and thanks for being with us, Lucy. Can you introduce yourself, please? So I'm Lucy Wither. I'm
1: a nature-based farm advisor from Cheshire Wildlife Trust, which is part of the Royal Society of Wildlife Trust. So we're one of 47 wildlife trusts which
0: cover all of the UK. I'd like to start on the importance of bee diversity. Why should we consider the number of different types of bees and not only the number of bees as a whole? So,
1: I think quite often when people think about bees, the first thing that comes to mind is the honeybee. And obviously, that's our, our domesticated species in the UK. But actually, we have this incredible diversity in the UK of over 260 different species. And I mean, why is that important? Sometimes I sort of think, you know, that. Just the fact that they are amazing and incredible is, you know, answer enough in itself. But also from an environmental and ecosystem perspective, each of the different species are coming out of um, hibernation at different times of year. So we've got early solitary bee species. So the Andrina group, so they're sort of ground nesting species, which come out early in the season. So they're going to pollinate some of our early flowering trees Um In the hedgerows and also our fruit trees so incredible pollinators and then later in the season we've got our leafcutter bees and then also our bumblebees which are kind of coming across the area so having that diversity and also sort of throughout the entire season it's, it's so vital in terms of pollinating our wider flowers in the ecosystem and also providing food and resources for birds kind of higher up the food chain as well so And then, of course, different species have got different tongue length, and so they're going to pollinate different types of flowers as well. So having that diversity is really beneficial in terms of the sort of stability and helping our ecosystem. And, you know, it's quite sad at the moment because we have seen a decline in our bee species, you know, over the years. We've lost 97% of wildflower meadows, which are such a valuable, important resource for our pollinators.
0: Can we talk a bit about native flowers and why they are important to bees, but also any role non-native plants should play in our gardens? So in terms of our native uh, native flowers, I think also when we're thinking about native
1: flowers, as well as thinking about the sort of flower element of the garden, also thinking about our trees and shrubs. So, our trees and our shrubs, particularly our native species, so things like hawthorn, our dandelions, which in the UK, many people think of them as weeds, but actually they're this incredible resource early in the season. So, many of our sort of horticultural non native plants aren't in flower at those early times of year. And that period of time is really important, particularly when, uh, for example, our bumblebees are first emerging out of hibernation that queen bumblebee needs to find those resources straight away in order to build up their reserves to be able to then provide a nest throughout the whole season so if they don't have those initial resources you know those nests aren't going to survive so having those early native resources are really really important and so both are in terms of yeah dandelions things like ground ivy as well which is I think oftentimes as well people see native plants sometimes as weeds in the garden and actually you know they're just plants in the wrong place for me if you're thinking of them as a weed and they're really important and then there's also been some research there's a study by Hicks which is called um, food for pollinators so they looked at the pollen and nectar content in both native and non-native plants and actually found that native plants provided the top 10 highest pollen and nectar sources for for pollinators compared to non-native species. So showing that actually those native species may potentially be providing higher quality of food resources for our pollinators. The other thing to say though in terms of your non-native species, there is of thinking about extending the flowering season so quite often the native plants will kind of come up to the end of, sort of September time and some of those non-native horticultural plants will extend the length of the flowering season so by having that kind of combination of both in the garden to have that continued availability of resources throughout the season is really important as well so I think Definitely natives are really important and having some horticultural plants in. But the other thing as well to say in terms of the non-native plants, it's also the really horticultural variety. So if you think about something like a rose, the bees can't actually get in to get to the pollen and actually access the pollen. So when you're thinking about plants for the garden, having those ones that can be accessed so that the bees can actually get into them to access the pollen and nectar. And then some of those more horticultural plants, so things like pansies, for example, don't really have very much pollen or nectar content at all. So they're really low value in terms of those. So looking for those plants which are providing that higher content of pollen and nectar. And again, throughout the season. But I think looking at trees and shrubs as well, which provide a really high amount of pollen and nectar just for a small area um, because it's all kind of concentrated in one place.
0: Thank you for touching on the part about the nutritional value and how to make sure we're kind of catering healthy food to a variety of species. You mentioned a little bit about roses and pansies. Are there other, you know, different types of flowers in terms of size and shape that we should be conscious about including?
1: Yeah, so I think that's actually a really interesting, really good point in terms of looking at the size and shapes of flowers so as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast we've got that diversity of different bee species so we've got sultry bees which have got really short tongues so they're um, stronger preferences for smaller kind of open flatter species such as corn marigolds and those ones that have got a lot flatter so they can access the pollen. Whereas in the UK, we've got the garden bumblebee species, which has got a really long tongue. In fact, it's so long that most of the time it flies around with its tongue sticking out because it doesn't want to roll it back in again. For the garden bumblebee, they prefer the longer tongue, sorry, long corolla flowers. So for example, the echiums, your foxgloves. So I think going back to as well as having that continued availability of resources throughout the season, it's also about having that variety and diversity of plant species in the garden to be able to cater for the diversity of different species that we've got. And it's also, I think, interesting in terms of thinking about where you want to put the plants in the garden. So with our solitary species, they can't really travel very far from their nest. So looking at having them close to your bee hotel, so they don't have to travel too far to go to get them and having them in sort of sunny spots because obviously some of our solitary bee species, they prefer a nice warm, hot, sunny weather in terms of when they're most active.
0: You mentioned some varieties that are good to have around because they bloom early in the season along with the trees and shrubs. Can you mention maybe a couple of species, floral species, that bloom later in the season, maybe into October, November? that's still blooming
1: season? I'd say one of the best and most important later flowering um, species is ivy. So it's not always sort of thought of as like a pollinator plant, but actually ivy is really important later in the season. It flowers sort of September into October time and provides a really high pollen and nectar content for our bees. We also have a specialist solitary bee species called the ivy bee which obviously with the name linking to it actually is largely just uses that mostly for its content and there are some rarer bee species it's worth mentioning that are quite specialist in terms of which plants that they will use so again having that diversity means that you're going to attract uh, you know It's less likely, you know, always to see rare species in gardens. They tend to go more for the wilder native habitats, but it's definitely important to have that diversity. And then I suppose other linking into the later flowering um, species, things like white dead nettle is another one which flowers both early in the season and then
0: it comes back again later on. Any other tips you'd like to share about planting a bee-friendly garden?
1: I think that I sort of touched on it before, but as well as having that diversity of floral resources, the other thing to think about, particularly for our bee species, is that as well as having something to eat in terms of flowers, they also need places for nesting and hibernation as well. So thinking about in terms of having those sort of big, those compost piles so the common card bee, uh, Bombus pascorum, they tend to go in sort of underneath compost piles and they'll sort of card a little nest for themselves. Other species will nest underground, uh, so our ground nesting bees. You can have your bee hotels where you have the ones that you can purchase or you can also just drill a variety of different sized holes into a, a sort of standing up post and having that diversity of different sized holes from two millimetres up to about nine millimetres means that you get a diversity of different bees nesting in there. And then again, having that in close proximity to the flowers as well, so that you've got those resources.
0: Why do you do what you do? Why bees?
1: Bees is something that I'm really, really passionate about. So my wider role is working with farmers to help them to integrate nature into their farming system, and bees is my complete absolute passion and sort of hobby and I think that you meet one and you think like oh there's a bumblebee and then you sort of have a little look into that and then you're like oh my goodness there's actually even more different species and and the more you know the more you want to know And, and I feel like it's just one of those things where you can never sort of know everything about them and they're just incredible and sort of I think mammals often get a huge big sort of focus and I think our bees are just so incredibly important and it's just such a privilege and a pleasure to be able to try and help to, you know, make sure that we continue to support them and that we make sure we're mitigating their decline because it's they're so valuable to us and also just incredibly charismatic and
0: amazing really. Are you ready to start garden planning? Lucy shared some important things to remember. Consider early and late blooming flowers and don't forget to leave space in your gardens for bees to nest. Also, don't overlook things like trees, shrubs, and the misunderstood ivy. Plants don't need to be bright and blooming to be a healthy choice for bees. You, my friend, however, are bright and blooming, and I thank you for listening today. Please help support the show by telling a friend and leaving a recommendation on your favorite podcast app. Visit the website for a fantastic guide on the best flowers for pollinators and when to plant them in the UK. And until next time, remember... Trees and Beats.